Okay, so I'll go first. Hi, everyone. My name is Barbara. I'm a compulsive overeater from Porsippany, New Jersey. Um, most of you may know of me. I run a workshop, um, so some of you may have attended it. I've spoken on a vision for you a couple of times. Um, anybody who has like a 75-page file called How I Sponsor, now you can associate the face with, with the person on that. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on what it was like. I'd rather talk about what it's like now. And I was going through some of my journals, and I found a writing that I did at the very, very beginning of my joining OA, and I'm just going to use that as my qualifier. It says, someone put a chocolate layer cake in the kitchen. I walked in to look for Johnny and noticed it. Immediately, my body is on red alert, ready to pounce on it. All the thoughts and plans I have about what I was going to eat today are out of my head. Instead, my body is excited, nervous, anxious, jumpy, tight. My mind can't stop thinking of it. My mouth is actually watering. I look at the orange, apple, and pear that I plan to eat for breakfast, and am completely neutral about them. Just a few minutes ago, I was very happy with the idea of eating them and knowing how delicious they will taste. But instead, the back of my throat is pulling, my chest is tight, my stomach cramping. I need to calm down, breathe, try to replace the thoughts of eat it now, eat it now, eat it now, with the reminder of what the consequences will be. The fruit will make me healthy and keep me sane. If I eat the cake, I will want more and more, and then I will go to the leftovers from the party on Friday, and then I'll hit the bagels. The consequence will be that I won't stop eating and thinking about food. Stay in recovery. Use the tools. Don't take that first bite. And even as I'm reading it now, it doesn't match that desperation and that urgency that I actually felt in my body and my mind at the sight of seeing that cake and having the obsession kick in and my body react to that. Um, so that's pretty much just my qualifier. Um, where I am today, my favorite thing in the big book, I have a lot of favorites, is the 10-step promise because it talks about where I am now and I'd like to read it to you first person using food. And I've ceased fighting anything or anyone, even food, for by this time sanity will have returned. I will seldom be interested in compulsive overeating. If tempted, I recoil from it as from a hot flame. I react sanely and normally, and I find that this has happened automatically. I will see that my new attitude toward food has been given to me without any thought or effort on my part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. I am not fighting it, neither am I avoiding temptation. I feel as though I've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. I have not even sworn off. Instead, the problem has been removed. It does not exist for me. I'm neither cocking nor afraid. This is my experience. That is how I react so long as I keep in fit spiritual condition. And when I try and talk, I try and not sound too preachy, but this part is going to come across preachy. If this is not what is happening in your life as a result of being in these rooms in this fellowship, whether you've been in here for a couple of months or for years, then either the steps were not done correctly or you're not doing step 10 correctly. Okay, and that has been my experience because I've sponsored over 700 people through this big book. Many, many of them who have made it to the other side of step 12 teach other people how to do this and have this unbelievable life and have neutrality around the food. I can go anywhere and see the food 
And while my allergic reaction still has my mouth water when I see the food, the thought of eating it or that desperation that I have to eat it or I'm going to die is no longer there. As this promise says, I can go anywhere and be safe. The food can be there and I just look at it as if it's like art because the food really is very beautiful. Pre-programmed the food I thought was my solution. Okay, I thought it was a problem, but it was really my very, very bad solution. Every time I felt uncomfortable in my own skin and I triggered that fight or flight that said, I have to eat or I'm going to die, I would run to the food for comfort. I never realized that. What happens with doing this work and especially doing step 10, I replace my bad solution of eating tons and tons of food, especially the foods I'm allergic to, white flour and sugar, and I replace that with running to a higher power who will never, ever hurt me and is always, always there for me. So what I want to talk about very quickly is just how I got to this part where I actually made it to step 10. Okay, so some of you know my story, so I won't go into the whole thing, but I will talk about doing the steps. Okay, so I'm in OA and I ask someone how to do the steps and this well-intentioned woman tells me the way to do the steps is to write a life story and look for common threads. So I do this and I come up with three character defects. I'm a jealous person who's unloved and unlovable. That weekend I go to a retreat and the first meeting on Friday is open sharing so I raise my hand and share that I just did my steps and I have these three character defects. Turns out there was a woman there who had brought her recovered alcoholic boyfriend with her who came up to me after the meeting and said, if you only have three character defects, you probably didn't do the steps correctly. <laughs> and then he offered to spend the whole rest of the weekend through Sunday lunchtime taking me through this book and teach me how to do the steps properly. As a result of doing that, every area of my life has changed. Pre-programmed, there wasn't one area in my life that was going well. Um, I didn't have peace of mind. I would go to sleep at night and think, how dare they say this to me? This is what I should have done instead. Here's I'm going to retaliate later on. My mind never shut up with how other people had hurt me and what I was going to do to get back at them. Didn't have good health. Couldn't make it up a flight of steps without huffing and puffing. I was so embarrassed by the way I looked. My stomach used to hang down to my knees. Um, no good relationships at all. My daughter hated me, did my ninth step with her. We now have a fantastic relationship. But the only people who were in my life were two eating buddies that we just hung around and bitched and complained about how terrible the world was while we shoved all this, the desserts in our mouth. Finances were terrible. I worked two full-time jobs, couldn't pay my bills, dated guys I didn't like, had them stay over, and while they were sleeping, I would steal money out of their wallets to pay for my electric and phone bills. Um, no worthwhile goals, find the perfect guy who would save my life, and also like win in Atlantic City or bingo. Those were the only things that would temporarily, in very short period of time, make me happy. And I didn't really, I never was someone who liked myself or felt comfortable in my skin. And what this program did, it put me back to who I was born to be. Someone who's kind, caring, loving, fits into society, gives and gets love, and not just focused on myself. And this program did that for me. So when going through the book with my step sponsor, step one, doctor's opinion through page 46, just for me to realize I have something that I am powerless over. And the funny part is that my life is really unmanageable. My life is not unmanageable because I eat. 
I eat because my life is unmanageable. And when I am uncomfortable, the only thing that helps me is stuffing myself with food because while I'm eating the food, I'm not paying attention to the things I need to pay attention to. And when I'm done binging, I'm focusing on what a failure I am because I didn't stick to another diet. So step one was pretty easy. I knew my life sucked, and I knew I couldn't stop putting the food down. So now I come to step two, which is finding a higher power of my choosing. And this is what I love. Because at 17 years old, I thought I was supposed to be religious, and I went to every single religion that there was, and I could not find a God that was kind enough and loving enough and cared about me enough and didn't have all these rules and regulations, no matter which religion it was. And so I gave up on that quest. Working the steps as outlined in this book, book, big book, I get to choose a higher power of my own making. And the most amazing thing is that first it was just a loving parent. I'm the two-year-old in the back seat in the car seat. God's the driver. I don't care where I'm taken. I feel safe and protected. I'm not worried about getting in an accident or anything. And this higher power who's a loving parent is going to take care of me and teach me what I need to, to know. What happened over time, which had the more I work the, these steps, what happens is my higher power becomes less and less and less defined. Where really, if I were to tell you who my higher power is, it's just something that is just pure love. I have a definition of it for me, which doesn't mean that it's right for everybody else. It's the life force of every atom in this universe, which means to me, I can connect to God anywhere. Inside me, I have a spirit that's pure. The problem is so many things happened to me when I was younger that I developed all these character defects. I can't get to my spirit. I can't get to my natural instincts. They have all been warped. And so what happens is I have to come up with something that I can believe in that is strong enough and loves me enough to help me. Then I move on to step three. I can't turn my life and will over at step three. I'm in control of everybody and everything. And but what happens is in step three, I can make a decision to make this, this concept of a higher power that I've just made and give this thing a try. So now I move on to the inventories, which are the most amazing thing I've ever done in my life. Four inventories. First one is for resentments. Next one is for fears. And the last two are for harms with and without sex. So I do the, the resentment inventory. Column one, who am I mad at? Why am I mad for column two? Column three, what parts of self, because it's all about me, gets affected? And then I do columns four and five, which are amazing. Column four, how did I get the ball rolling in this? And then column five, what character defect allowed me to do that? And what happens is in doing the inventories this way, I get to realize there's a line in the book that says, our troubles we think are of our own making. Well, my column four is how I did that. The, the funny part about this is one of the things that I've learned after 19 years of doing this and teaching so many people, there is only one character defect. I am egotistical. It's all about me and what I want and what people should do for me and, you know, and, and about me and listen to me. And what happens is that egotistical plays out in five main character defects. Selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, inconsiderate, and fearful. And then those five combine into millions. Mean-spirited, people-pleaser, jealous, all these other things that come into play, thinking they are protecting me when all they're doing is causing me harm and everyone around me. And I don't get to realize that until I do these inventories and see on paper 
It's the friggin' character defects. It's not the people that I've been <coughs> blaming forever. It's my behaviors based on my thought pattern. So now I do the fear inventory. Column one, what am I afraid of? Column two, why am I afraid? Column three, do I realize I'm afraid because I'm not relying on my higher power? Again, column four and five, amazing. Column four, what footwork can I do? Because God will only do for me what I can't do for myself. But it turns out there's a lot of stuff I'm capable of doing if I'm not so selfish and self-seeking. What footwork can I do to minimize the chance of this happening? And then column five, what character defects would stop me from that? Then I move on to the harms inventories. Who did I hurt? How did I hurt them? What parts of self were stroked or rewarded for doing that? Column four, what should I have done differently? What am I going to do from now on? And column five, what character defects allowed me to do what's in column two? And I know I went through that very quickly, but the truth is these inventories are so easy to do if you do one column at a time and you invite your higher power to be with you and give you the strength to be honest enough. So now I move on to step five. I take, for me, 17 pages of resentments, eight pages of fear, and 82 pages of harms because my number one character defect is mean-spirited. I'm gonna hurt you before you have a chance to hurt me so that you can't get close to me. I'm gonna make sure that I do stuff that's so inappropriate and so um, unlikable that you won't come near me. And so I take all of these and I don't spend hours with my sponsor talking about everything everybody did to me doesn't serve any purpose to continue blaming everybody else. What I do is I take all these things and I tell him the exact nature of my wrongs, which are my character defects. So why start reading this almost 100 pages of just character defects from column five? Lazy, 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 mean-spirit, mean-spirit, mean-spirit. There were like a couple of others. I had 47 total, but there were five main ones. Mean-spirited, judgmental, lazy, dishonest, and jealous. And what I found by doing that without telling the stories in between or deviating from the exact nature of my wrongs. This is my story that I'm telling my sponsor. My life sucks, and it sucks because I'm mean-spirited, judgmental, lazy, dishonest, and jealous. And once I do that, then I tell him my deepest, darkest secrets, because we're only as sick as our seat. And then I move on to step six. After an hour, following the directions in here of making sure I did the work properly and connecting with my higher power. So now step six, do I want these removed? Because I haven't told the stories and done everything else, what happens is I get to realize it's the friggin' character defects. Of course I want them removed because I don't want the consequences anymore. It's not until you get to 10 that you really do, yes, I really want these removed. But a cursory step six does it. And if I want that, then what I do is I make a list of all these character defects. I look at them. Do I want them removed? Yes. And even though lazy appeared and mean-spirited appeared so many times, only gets listed once. So now I move on to step seven. And I take that list and I put down my opposite of each of them. How do I behave when this character defect comes into play? And that's my opposite. And I start asking God to remove the defect and teach me to be the opposite. And every opportunity I have to act as if I'm that opposite, I take. Okay, and it's the most amazing thing to realize how often a character defect comes into play and how often I would normally do something that would cause harm to someone else that they have to retaliate. No wonder my life sucked, okay? I was causing wreckage everywhere I went. 
So then I move on to step eight. I have my list of who I harmed. <coughs> Transfer to index cards. Who I hurt, how I hurt them, what I should have done instead, what I'm going to do for the future, and then what do I have to do to clean this up? And it's amazing because while most people think that step nine is going and saying I'm sorry, that's really not an amend. A lot of them I had to go and apologize for the things that I did because certain people need to hear it and I needed that in order to stop feeling guilty about it. But the main thing about an amend is going and making any kind of restitution and more importantly changing my ways, amending my ways so that I don't continue doing this harm to that person or anyone else. And that's the most amazing thing because then it brings me into step 10 which then now that I've done one through nine properly, I have gotten rid of all the stuff that made me need to run to the food. But how do I stay clean? And the way that I stay clean is by living in 10, 11, and 12. And we're gonna talk about 10 today. So what I, I made up two little signs you because um, yeah, if you, you won't be able to read them because they're actually too small on the floor here. But so I'll read them to you. But what I want to do is read the instructions for step 10 first. Okay, it says this thought brings us to step 10, which suggests su sorry suggests we continue to take personal inventory and continue to set right any new mistakes as we go along. We vigorously commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. We have entered the world of the spirit. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. Continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. This is such an important step because in my opinion, this is where I become recovered. The thought of running to the food or having a character defect coming to play and causing wreckage gets replaced with my turning immediately to my higher power. It's one paragraph, but it's so powerful. It's just like six and seven. They're each just one paragraph, but those are the transformation steps. If I just say that seven step prayer and I don't do anything else, I'm never gonna change. In step 10, which is four through nine, every time I do that seven, I change the pathways in my brain that are an automatic reaction to bring in a character defect or eat the food. And that pathway gets destroyed and a whole new gentler one comes in. So what I wanna do is talk about two things that are in here. Okay, so the first one is um, continue to take personal inventory when we're wrong, promptly admitted it. So it says, um, continue to write any new mistakes as we go along. It also says when these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. We discuss them with someone immediately and make amends quickly. So the thing that I want to point out is that a lot of people in OA think that step 10 is part of step 11, that I do it at night. The thing for me is that step 10 is where God teaches me lessons in that moment. And if I don't learn the lesson in that moment, I've lost the opportunity to change. So for me, using the words promptly, at once, immediately, for me means immediately, at this exact moment, instantly, straight away, presently, directly, quickly, instantaneously, promptly, speedily, right now. In the moment that I'm driving to work at seven o'clock in the morning and someone cuts me off, and my automatic reaction is to beat them, curse, and give them the finger, 
Instead of doing that, I have the opportunity to connect with God and learn to be patient and kind and just be grateful that the person didn't hit me. If I wait till 10, 11 o'clock at night to do this, I've lost the opportunity to learn how to be those things. And once I hit step 10, God is teaching me lessons almost, when I first started doing step 10, I had to do it like 30 times a day. As the lessons were learned and the character defects diminished and removed, I don't have to do it as often. It's 19 years later. I still have to do step tens, but they're not as dramatic as they were when I first started. The other part that I really want to talk about, because I think this is really important, is the part that says, continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. These are character defects. The next part says, when these, meaning the character defects, crop up, we ask God at once to remove them, remove the character defects. We discuss them, the character defects, with someone immediately and make amends quickly if we have harmed anyone. So for me, we discuss them means I call someone just to discuss the character defects. I don't go into the story that, tell, that got me upset. I don't repeat all the stuff. I don't have a step 10 buddy. I don't have a step 10 train. I don't have a bunch of people except maybe my sponsor that I call and say, hi, it's Barbara. I was just jealous and mean-spirited. Because the more I tell the story, that's when the resentment starts. And every time I repeat it, I become more right. They're more wrong. And then I'm justified in being angry. I can't afford to be angry. It will make me go back to the food, and it will bring back my mean spirits. and I'm really good at destroying people. I had a really good teacher, my dad. I mean, I can, I can do stuff to your face or behind your back that will really destroy your life, because I'm really good at that. <laughs> but, but, and, what, and what this book teaches me is not how to stop drinking, drugging, eating, gambling, sex, and everything. It's a book on how to get rid of the things blocking me off from my higher power, how to connect to this thing, and then stay surrendered to it. And the more that I rely on people or things of this earth, I'm shutting God out. So if I have to do a step 10 and I don't go to God and learn to do the opposite with his help, because I tried for 45 years to be different, and I couldn't. The minute I hooked up with this thing, with this higher power, Miracle after miracle after miracle started happening and everything in my life started getting better. If I continue to rely on people for their suggestions, because if any of you called me and said, which I get a lot of times, can I give you a step yeah. 10? And I say, no, but let's talk about the character defects. Um, if I were to give, because most people in OA are people pleasers. So for me as a mean-spirited person, my opposite is to say, yes, I will help you. So if I give you the advice based on my character defects, I'm going to tell you something that's going to kill you or hurt you, okay? I don't know what's best for you. This book tells me to quit playing God, and the minute I give you advice on what you should do or what you've done wrong or anything where I'm telling you how to live your life, I've just shut you off from your own higher power. And if you can't connect to this thing, the 10-step promise is never going to happen for you because the character defects will not be removed. Your, your sponsor can't remove them, you can't remove them, self-help books can't remove them. The only thing that I found in working with hundreds of people and even my own experience, God is the only, and I choose the word God because it has nothing to do with religion, but it's very, it's much easier to say, God is the only thing that's strong enough to overcome the effects of my being a, a compulsive overeater. So what I want to do, oh, I okay, is just very quickly go through some things in the 
big book that talk about why it's important to do step 10. Okay, so the first one is on page 12, which said, there had been a humbling willingness to have him with me, and he came. But soon the sense of his presence had been blotted out by worldly clamors, mostly those within myself. I am the problem. I become restless, irritable, and discontent, and I don't know how to get out of that. And either I eat, or I do a character defect which hurts somebody, or both. And so step 10 is where I learn not to have the character defect come into play, and I learn not to run to the food. Um, on page 13, I was separated from alcohol for the last time. I tried my whole life to stick to a diet and couldn't. And because of connecting to God, and step 10 is where nine I get a glimpse, 10 is where I really connect. What happens is I get separated from the food and I get separated from the behaviors that make me want to eat. And that's through step 10. Another one says on page 19, we feel that elimination of our drinking is but a beginning, okay? Food has, is not my problem, it never has been. I have to do more than just stop eating because when I stop eating, I've gotten rid of the only solution that I know and step 10 teaches me a whole new solution. Um, page 27. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes where once the guiding forces of the lives of these men are suddenly cast to one side and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. This is what the steps do. They change the way I think. My thought patterns are the precursor to everything I say, do, think, how I act, how I react. And what happens is by doing this work, instead of having the automatic reaction of a fight or flight kicking in and my brain and my body going nuts, what happens is I get a few seconds to pause. And that's where the recovery comes in because then I can make the decision, which I never had the power to do before, do I turn to God or do I act inappropriately? And the more I do step tens, the more I keep turning to God because the truth is from my own experience, he has never let me down. And when I follow him, which we talk about step 11 later, no one gets hurt, including me. When it's my will and my reactions, everyone gets hurt and nothing goes well. Um, page 635, which is probably one of the most important parts of this book. So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking for obviously this is the crux of the problem. To be a real compulsive overeater, I need two things. I have to have an allergy of the body that gets triggered and I have to have the obsession of the mind. If I only have one or the other, well then I'm a, I hate to say it, I'm a hard eater. I can stop on my own. If I just have the obsession, I get mad at my boyfriend, I eat some ice cream, the next day I can go right mm -hmm. on it. If I only, it's because I haven't triggered an allergy. I only have the allergy, I don't care about eating this stuff. All of us know people who are allergic to peanuts. They don't eat a peanut no matter what because they don't have the obsession. They know the consequences and they don't spend minutes, days, hours, years trying to think of a way that they can eat a peanut saintly. I have spent 45 years of my life in the first couple of weeks in OA still thinking I can eat this stuff safely when I can't. Um, and what the rest of this chapter, more about alcoholism, does talks about the crux of the problem. There are four things that make people relapse, and this chapter talks about three, and one of them is just from my own experience in seeing people. The first one and the foremost is that I become restless, irritable, and discontent, and I don't have a way out of that. Step 10 is the way out of it. 
The second one is that in that moment, I don't think about or care about the consequences. I'm getting married, I want to fit into a gown, the food is there, I've been dieting for weeks, the food is there, I'm eating it. I go to dance the first dance with my husband, I've eaten so much and my waist is like a chipmunk, it expands as I'm eating. I lift up my arms to dance with him and I rip the sleeves out of the dress. Okay, and it was my sister's dress and she was really mad. I don't care about the consequences. The third thing is that I get to a point where I think I can do this without God. This book tells me if I am a real alcoholic, a real compulsive overeater, I cannot do this on my own. I need God. And at some point, if I start thinking, I've been doing this for so long, or I'm the one performing these miracles, if I become arrogant and think I can do this on my own, I'm a goner. I will pick up the food at some point. And then the fourth thing that I found is unfinished amends. Not the ones that you can't make because someone is dead or would cause harm, but the ones that you say, oh, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not giving that that money. These people hurt me more. The, the unwillingness to do an amend is another thing that'll cause people to relapse. Okay, next part is on page 43. There is virtually no other solution. Once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. His defense must come from a higher power. And you'll hear people in the room say there are no musts in the book. This is a suggested program, but once you start doing this program, you must do everything that this book says, because it's not like you do some of the work and get some of the rewards. If you are not moving forward, you are moving backwards. And the only way to keep moving forward is to do all the steps, get on the other side of 12, and start working with as many people as you can. Next, page 44. You may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. The only way that I have found to get a spiritual experience, and not a religious experience, because for me, spirituality is being connected to God, having a relationship, and no one tells me what I have to do to have God be in my life. And that's not me dissing religion. It's just a distinction I have. I can be sitting on the toilet talking to God, and he's happy that I'm paying attention to him. <laughs> I don't have to, like, for my religion, fast for, for Yom Kippur to be there. I don't have to go to confession. I don't have to bow down three times to these not dissing any religion at all. If that's your belief system, you're allowed to have your own higher power. But I found that I need to be spiritual. And what it conquers is not my physical allergy. If I eat an apple turnover or a piece of seven-layer cake, my body is going to scream, give me more now. I have no defense about that. So I'm not cured of it, but I can conquer by connecting to my higher power my obsession. Because if I don't get to the point where I am so uncomfortable that I need food for comfort, or I see the food and my brain says, go ahead, eat it anyway, which is really your absence breaking. It's not eating an extra string bean. It's looking at something that you're not supposed to have and say, fuck it, I don't care, I'm eating it, okay? And so what happens is, as long as I'm connected to this higher power, and I feel useful, and I feel happy, and I'm working with others and not focusing on myself, that obsession gets removed, and that gets conquered. Oh, sorry for cursing. I love to oh, curse. No, I'm no, like I'm a just, truck driver. <laughs> so <laughs> um, page 52, the bedevilments. If any of these are true for you, either small or big, then you need to do more work and follow directions in here. So if you're having trouble with personal relationships, even one person that you are renting space in your head, uncomfortable with, don't want to talk to, whatever it is, if you are having any trouble with personal relationships, there's some work you need to do to be closer to your higher power. Um, controlling your emotional natures, pray to misery, 
depression, couldn't make a living, which includes not even liking your job or your boss, a feeling of uselessness, full of fear, unhappy, or can't help other people. Those are the bedevilments. That's the unmanageability in my life. And what happens by doing this work, every one of those goes away. I don't really have to do anything except be willing to do what this book says and follow each instruction on the action I have to take. And every one of these goes away. And the minute they come back even tiny, it's time for me to do step 10. These are my signals. I get mad at someone or having trouble. My boss says something I'm like, I need to do a step 10 immediately to get rid of these feelings before they turn into resentment or turn into something that makes me want to eat or cause harm. Page 62, love this line. So our troubles we think are basically of our own making. This is such a line of hope because if I'm waiting for my husband, my boss, my friends, the other drivers to change in order for me to be happy, I will never, ever be happy. By doing this work, and especially step 10, because that's where the, it's not like you say the seventh step prayer and you wake up the next morning and everything's gone. It takes a lot of work and a lot of time for these to diminish or be removed, and that's in step 10. But I get to realize in step 10, every time there's something that disturbs my peace of mind, it's me. It's something I thought, something I said, or something I did. And I do a step 10 on it, and I learn that lesson. And the great part about step 10 for me where I am now is there are no problems in my life. There are situations, every one of them has a solution if I pay attention to my higher power. So for me, every time I have to do a step 10, I am really grateful. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to be different than I've always been because how I've always been has made me really unhappy. So I can go and have a spiritual experience every moment of every day because everything that happens, breathing, walking, talking, seeing people, every one of those I take as a miracle from God. So I'm constantly connected to him through gratitude, which makes everything I do a spiritual experience. And then, oh wait, I think I'm No, don't, keep going. Okay. Okay, so what, well, actually what I'll do <laughs> is, um, what I will do is, when I was going, I, I had my 19th anniversary on June 10th, and, and I, I go to three meetings. One is a Sunday morning meeting, a newcomer meeting that's absolutely magnificent. And the guidelines for that meeting in the Monday night is, you can only talk if you have the experience on what we are talking about, and if not, you can ask questions. There's crosstalk, and the questions are so amazing. And up in our area, because we have so many people who have followed the directions in this book, big book, who are recovered, because this book promises me I will be recovered from a seemingly hopeless disease. And what happens is that people ask questions that are amazing. You know, I've been in the, the rooms for 20 years, and now that I've done the steps, the people are treating me like a leper. How come I can't pray for myself? You know, like the, the questions become so unbelievably amazing, and they guide the answers that really help people. And that's our Sunday morning meeting. Christine started these two meetings because we went to meetings where everybody just complained and said it was just too hard and I can't stay abstinent and I hate my husband and my kids did this and, and that doesn't help anybody who really wants to recover. So she set up meetings that, and we even had a day of transformation where it was every half hour, all day long, people who had done this work talking about how great their life is as a result of doing it. For me, that works so much better for me. I need to see that this book and this program really works, and I didn't get to see a lot of that. 
because there weren't a lot of people who were taught how to do this. So, and then the other one is a Wednesday night meeting called Stone, Sober Together on Nothing Except Steps. Started by a guy who saw people going in and out of rehab continuously, and the common denominator for them not being able to stop drinking was nobody ever taught them the steps. They'd go and they detox for 30 days, they come out, and within two days they're drinking or drugging again. And so those three meetings are amazing because they talk, they rip apart the line by line, paragraph by paragraph, what this actually means and what needs to be done. And there's so many available sponsors. And no one is like shamed because they relapse. No one is made to feel that they're not a part of. You walk in those rooms, you are immediately spiritual foundation of this program. The thing is that I hardly know any of you here. But the one thing I do know about you is that you're all compulsive overeaters looking for a way out, which makes you exactly like me, which levels the playing field, and that's what anonymity is all about. So for me, I just love this. So I was at the Wednesday night meeting celebrating my 19 years, and I had written this, I don't even know when, but I read it, and I would like to read it to you now, and then I'll turn it over to Christine. Okay? I feel like I'm never, ever going to do what she did. No, no, you're good. You're good. Imagine living without fear, without judgment, without blame, without guilt, without shame. Imagine your life without trying to please other people. Imagine how different your life would be if you lived with gratitude, love, loyalty, and justice. Imagine the union between you and your body if you were completely loyal to your body, if you were completely grateful for your body, and if you treated your body with respect. Imagine being happy. Imagine living with this kind of freedom. This program is all about letting go of the lies that cause us to be angry, fearful, and harmful so that we can see God everywhere in everyone and everything. And once we can see that, we don't have to search for God because we know he's already here and will never let us down. So mm. thank you. Wow. Okay. Now, now how, do I, how do you come after that? Okay. It's very hard. Um, I'll qualify a little. Um, and my name is Christine T. And I am a compulsive eater. Um, as described, I am a true or slash real compulsive eater as described in the big book. Um, uh, I've been in and out of these rooms, I think, 31 years now. Uh, 27 of them. Uh, I would come in and I went to meetings that basically really didn't work the steps. Um, just, you know, meeting makers make it, um, just stay absent no matter what, um, all of the slogans. Um, I used to ask to do the steps because I could only make it a year and I'd start to really shake. And um, I'd ask, what do I do? What do I do? I'm going to eat. I wouldn't say I was going to eat. What do I do? What do I do? And um, they would say, you don't have to work the steps. Don't worry about it. I wasn't even told to do a story. Just wait seven years. The seven-year thing is like crazy. <laughs> I, I, she said, you need three to just sit in the rooms, three to just be numb, and then three to put your life back together, and then you do the work. Or it's, It was like some, she had some whole theory on, on it, and, um, and it was crazy. So I came back in four and a half years, four and three-quarter years. I could look it up on my thing. I have a counter that counts it, but I don't pay it attention. Um, uh, and uh, uh, 
I was about three weeks. I was suicidal. I was throwing my heart into arrhythmia on a regular basis, meaning I would eat so much. I weighed over 330 pounds and I would eat so much that my heart would start to beat at 180 beats a minute. And I would be standing up against a wall with my arms above my head. And I'd tell my husband, if I fall down, call 911. Okay, about a half hour, 40 minutes later, the heart would go back into rhythm. I'd be in the pantry, okay, stuffing myself again, okay? And, and this would happen, not daily, but uh, every other day. And, um, you know, I haven't had a bout of arrhythmias <laughs> in four and five years, you know? Um, so it's really amazing. Um, so basically, I sat down and I had a sponsor from the past, one of those ones who said, wait. Barbara was on a cruise. If anybody knows Barbara, she's on a cruise 10 times a year. <laughs> um, and so I sat down the third week and I thought, I, I can't do this. You know, this is like, this is the same stuff over and over again at the meeting. Just follow the food plan. I mean, I could go to Weight Watchers just if you're going to tell me to follow a food plan. So Barbara came back from her cruise and was sitting next to me. And in that moment just said, if you're a real compulsive overeater, um, more than likely, you know, you're, you're not going to recover. And, um, and I thought, she's right. So I said, uh, and she said it in doing the steps as written in the bid book will help you. So I turned around and I said, will you sponsor me? And she said, yes. And I, you know, the interesting part is 10 years before I was in and she asked me at that, said the same exact sentences. And I said, uh, you know, I'll think about it. And I went and asked that sponsor and that sponsor said, you don't need to do the step work. So I did not tell that sponsor, same sponsor, that I got Barbara. Okay, it was in my fourth step when I turned around and said, listen, I, uh, I've got Barbara, uh, she's teaching me the steps. So, oh, she couldn't say anything because I wasn't giving her an option <laughs> because I had already felt relief, okay? By, I was in the fourth column. I worked rapidly through this work. Uh, it was life or death for me because I was really itching to get the hell out, throwing my heart in arrhythmia, and I was suicidal, okay? So... Um, Yes, so that's actually what brought me in here. And I'll, I'll tell you, I'll get to 10-stepping pretty fast. So May, May, I think the last week of April, this last Saturday in April, I took Barbara on. By May, second week in May, I was already through all my chapters. I was one where I'd say, can you work today? And she'd say, yes. And I'd say, okay, I'm going to do, I would do a chapter. Can you talk to me at noon? Yes. I would read the chapter highlight. We'd do the chapter. I'd say, can you read again at 6 p.m.? She'd say, yes, I would do it. I knew that this was life or death for me and I was going to move freaking as fast as I can to save my life. Okay. Because I don't, I know the ticking time bomb in that room and I knew that I, I'm a lever. I jump. So, um, I'm a jumper. Okay. So, um, that's the truth, and I knew. So I think by the time we got to the fourth column, very confusing for me. Um, I thought you all did it to me. <laughs> so I had a real hard time getting that it was me. And Barbara was very good. Uh, she was on a cruise, and someone that I was working <laughs> with, she came back from one, went on another one. Someone I worked with temporarily wasn't very good about it, so I did stall for two weeks. But when she came back, I got back on it. 
And, um, and it was amazing because in the next four weeks, it took me a while to get through the fourth step. I just couldn't convince myself about that part. And then one day that light bulb went on and I thought, oh my God, I've been so wrong. (laughs) And I did all of the rest of the work. So now that's about mid June, right? Um, and let's talk about the rest, uh, six, seven, eight. Uh, and eight and a half, I'm doing my cards. Nine, I'm out there making amends. A miracle. I had already started to change so much in my household that my husband thought I was having an affair with Barbara, (laughs) that we were lesbians. There's nothing wrong with being a lesbian, but he thought I was leaving him. I I could not make my amends to him because every time I made an approach, he would uh, say, you're leaving me. And I was like, no, I'm trying to just, uh, you know, clean up my past. You're leaving me. I know you're leaving me. And I, and then the screaming and he would start screaming at me then I I would engage because I wasn't doing step 10 and I would start screaming at him okay so finally the third attempt I had given him the steps uh, at that point to read told him here this is where I was and he got quiet Uh, But he was also calling the family, and (laughs) this is funny to me, and he was telling them that I was in a cult and that uh, I was crazy. Could you all come home? Because the kids kept coming home, and I was like, why are they home? This is, I'm going to a meeting. And, like, he was just, like, I changed a lot just before I got to 10. So now I'm living in 10, and I get to 10. Um, and I wasn't very good at them at first. And Barbara, after three weeks, was like, um, I'm not getting your defects. Barbara has, as a sponsor, has you text the defects. So the moment I feel restless, irritable, discontent, um, and about to do something, cause a harm or whatever, um, I have to stop, do the worksheets, you know, in my head or written. But in the beginning, I needed the written. Um, and then text her the defect or call her the defect. Day one, after she told me I wasn't doing the work that I needed to really step up with this, um, I was exhausted at the end of the day. Uh, I think uh, I'll tell you the drive to work is no more than two miles. um, And it took me a half hour. Uh, I'd be like, fuck this person's getting in front of me. What's the matter with this? Oh my God. I'd have to pull the car over. Think, okay, I'm being impatient. Text. I've been impatient, you know? Uh, And then I get, I get back on the road. I do it again. Seconds late, 25 minutes for two miles. Uh, But I decided to do it the way it was written and the way she wanted me to do it. Because if I didn't, um, I knew that food was one bite away. The first week was exhausting. I think I went to bed at 9 p.m. because uh, my head just was amazing. So then after that, my life starts to really clean up because I'm really doing this work. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm looking at it myself. I'm, I did not call other people. I did call Barbara, um, uh, but we would discuss 
and I would do the work and then discuss, okay, that defect of what I'm performing. Um, it's all about getting that work done. And if somebody calls me today with a 10th step, I say, did you do your sheet yet? <laughs> and then I hang up <laughs> because most of them haven't. They want to talk about everything that occurred. But the truth is, then I'm listening to their problem. I don't even listen to your problem in the fourth step. I really don't, okay? When you're talking about your problem, I don't really want you getting all riled up again. So we go column by column. We don't go across. And everybody wants to call you and go across. Okay? And I won't do it. I really listen in... in um in, in five, no, I'm not sorry, not, not, it's eight and a half. That's really where I listen. In five, I only hear the defects. I don't want to discuss. But the truth is some of them we have to discuss because I have to help you get to your part, okay? So, um, so I find that two and 10 are, the as a sponsor, the most underutilized steps, but 10 is the one where I lose so many people. Um, they, you know, as even I, after a year, uh, of doing this, okay, so one year sober doing this work, I, I realized that my thoughts had to be cleaned up also. I wasn't cleaning up thoughts, okay? So uh, I, it's a long story, but I'll tell it anyway because it's a really good story. I had somebody that I ran a workshop with, and I asked her. She didn't like me, okay? And I asked her to help me with the workshop to get her to like me because I'm a people pleaser, mm -hmm. right? And all she did was cause me agita, okay? She wanted to control it all. She wanted, she sat one day in my office eight hours over signs like this, okay? And I was like, Barbara, I don't know. Barbara goes, how'd you get the ball rolling? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I asked her. <laughs> I asked her to help me with this workshop. Oh, my God, that people-pleasing. You know, if I wasn't a people-pleaser, God, stop me from people-pleasing. Teach me. That I, you know, it doesn't matter if someone likes me, right? So uh, after the first workshop, she comes to me and this woman and says, you'll be a failure without me. I'm quitting and you're going to fail. And I thought to myself, okay, I was really angry at her. So I got to clean this up. This is a year. I've got to clean this work up, right? So I'm, I, I clean it up. I call Barbara and Barbara said, it's time. It's time, you know, meaning I need to take care of this. I need to stop people pleasing. It's time to let go. I called her. I said, thank you so much for helping me with it. And da, 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 da. And she goes, you don't want me? I said, no, I'm going to be okay. Thank you. You've been a great help, and I really appreciate it. Now, one, two, three days later, or the next day, all I kept doing in my head was going, uh, why doesn't she like me? <laughs> Those are thoughts, okay? I didn't realize how deep this, this disease goes, and those thoughts dominate my whole day. Why doesn't she like me? That is the day where I, I have to tell you, I really, really did step tens. I might have been doing them for a year, okay? But they were just things that were really the big things, okay? when I really started to do them that day, because the majority of my issues are in my head. Okay, they are not the physical thing that becomes the big thing, it's just the thought, she's an asshole. 
<laughs> what? What? That's wrong. I cannot think that she's an asshole. You know, I have to. I have to stop the thoughts. Why do I think she is? You know, it's my ego that got bruised somehow, and I have to figure out why. And for me, my core fear, which is after I did all this work, is abandonment. It all, every, there isn't a 10 step I do today that doesn't come back to that fear. Okay? There isn't one that I don't do. And that's the most amazing thing. We did one in the car this morning. I did one with her in the car. It always comes back to that main core thing. But I, I'm not, she did it so well, I cannot go where she goes. Um, but that's um, okay. I'm going to, I want to go through what, what it looks like um, doing a 10 step in my head and things. Observe my actions. This is how I go about doing these. So you understand on a daily basis what I'm, I, how I clean up. Because I don't think uh, anybody, it's not that Barbara didn't explain it, but um, how much I sieve, I think of it as mining for diamonds. It's a sieve, okay? And I'm filtering out those rocks that cause me to be weighted down, right? And, and, that, and this is how I sieve, okay? Uh, observe my actions. So am I being um, rude? Am I cutting people off? Um, am I running towards the register to get in front of somebody because I don't have time? And, uh, you know, all right, there's my actions. Observe my thoughts. Ah, this is major. I don't think uh, I really realize that a lot of my sponsees don't realize that the thought is really the beginning of the rest of the harms and things. And that's major. So if I had a harmful thought, I catch it before it turns into a decision or an act. If I th the thought is about the future, I ask myself if it's practical or helpful, okay? Because even daydreaming is, is, has to be cleaned up for me, okay? Um, uh, if I think about the past, uh, I ask myself if it's compassion. All right, okay, so uh, compassionate, time for step 10. Uh, observe my impulses. I am an impulsive person, especially with my husband. Uh, since I've done this work and I changed so much, my husband has come into program, and he actually comes to the OA meeting, but we both go to the Stones meetings, and, um, uh, and he, uh, uh, he's my button pusher, so I am very reactive with him still, impulsive, and I have to, it's, this is a lifelong thing. This isn't something that, you know, a lot of the little ones cleaned up fast, okay, but there's a lot, especially with him. We work together, we see each other <laughs> seven days a week, 24 hours a day, he comes to program with me, you know, it's like we just know, and sometimes, and I'll describe one later, he'll just hit me, and boom, it's so fast. Um, but I actually fixed that this week for the first time, and that was a miracle. Observe my emotions. I am an emotional person, a highs and lows, uh, but uh, not so much anymore. That's really, I cry a lot. I started to cry twice when Barbara was reading because it really is a miracle, and my whole life is so, so different that I've never really thought I could live this way, and I live so 
free from self today. It's just a miracle. Observe any hopes for the future as they arrive. I have a lot of people who live in the la-la fantasy world. I have one that imagines each man in love with her. She's getting married. She's walking down an aisle. Um, I'm. This is a man. She's married, okay? But she's looking at another man, okay, in a fantasy that she's going to get married there in two years, okay? Uh, uh, you know, uh, is this real or imagined? So I'm trying to bring this up because it is a big issue. I have also a daughter who's in program today and fantasizes, okay, um, and will fantasize. Actually, Barbara's sponsoring her, uh, but fantasizes about b- men she meets. And so, yeah, is, is, uh, is interesting. She and I had a great talk about fantasy. You know, don't go forward, live in the moment. Uh, watch for shouldas and uh, shoulda and shouldn't um meaning should i do this or shouldn't i do that but you know like for me i have to leave it to god and get out of that and um it's something i think of what should i do what you know the truth is uh, god unfolds it in that moment um uh notice discomfort um that something's happening. And i'll give you a couple of examples in a little while. Notice if you're too comfortable, cocky, arrogant, thinking I got this, (laughs) right? You know, I'm better than this. I'm worse than this. Um, uh, Notice any spiritual lapses. Ah, disconnection. Isn't that a step? That's why, you know, that anger disconnects me immediately. Any thoughts of, of being pissed off or about somebody even disconnects me. I know more than God. This person's an asshole, <laughs> you know, and, and it's not true. Okay. Give your full attention to what you're doing. This is a major one for me. Okay. I don't do that sometimes, especially at work. Okay, I will not, I work for my husband, and when he tells me to do something, I don't want to do it. Because <laughs> he told me to do it, and he wants me to do it his way, but I know a faster, easier way. <laughs> and I want to do it my faster, easier way. But sometimes he gets irritated, and we have to work out a compromise, and, and that's the truth. Okay, so I'm going to talk about a couple of 10 steps. Okay, go ahead. I'm going to have you stop. So she, do you want to change the recording say, well, now? Okay. Okay. I'm going to give you the week. 